The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Melissa Reeve. Melissa is the VP of Marketing at Scaled Agile and has a talent for creating growth wherever she is. May that be in people, business, or in her own garden. Uh, Melissa, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show, Leslie. I have been honing my green thumb skills recently as well. Oh, yeah, Um, tell me more. yeah, the lack of travel has made much more time for me to invest in my yard. Well, maybe after the podcast, we can talk cucumbers. Yes, yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, so listen, thanks for being with me today. I'm so excited to kind of hear your story, especially as someone that's a, a true marketing practitioner as background and that journey into agility um, and, and how that really played out for you. I'm, I'm really excited about the nuggets we'll be able to share with folks today. Um but we, we start sort of the same way with all of our guests, which is what I like to think of as your Agile origin story. Mm-hmm. So like, how did you find Agile? How did it find you? What was that like? Share that story with us. So I like to say that I, I'm a, an Agile thinker with an Agile life. So even before I had the word Agile to associate it with, with it, I feel like I've always been doing this pivot or persevere, really trying to, even though I know that's more lean startup, but really um, responding as conditions evolve, whether that be, uh, you know, I I majored in Japanese and then went on to move out to the Navajo Indian Reservation. And so I've, I've gone through some pretty big changes in my life where I've had to evaluate circumstances as they've come up, keep options open and plan and replan. Having said that, where I first came across the Agile Marketing Manifesto was in 2013. And I was working for an events company and we planned about 30 events a year. It worked really well until it didn't. And what we had is we had about six month marketing windows. Um, because we we managed so many events, they were rinse and repeat, mm-hmm. right? So we, um, you know, we would just start one campaign while we're finishing up another one. And it was very lockstep. So when attendance started to drop, we didn't have any way to adjust. I found the Agile Marketing Manifesto and thought there's a better way. So we went from having uh, status meetings every week to twice a week, what we called our daily standups, which weren't really daily, um, to twice a week evaluating what was going on and replanning based on the data that was coming in. That's great. And so like would in the journey of finding that kind of agile marketing manifesto, like when would you say like 
I guess I'll call it formal training, like kind of your formal getting involved in what the majority of us consider to be agile. Mm -hmm. Like, because if you started experimenting with it, then when would you say like, oh, yeah, I identify as someone that's part of the agile community? Well, I think I'm still on that journey, but uh, it became more formal when I, I joined Scaled Agile. And uh, obviously, Scaled Agile takes those agile principles up into the, the world's largest enterprises. And that's when I started to get formal training on Agile and started to get certified, things like that. But I, I think you might agree it's it's a never-ending journey it of is. trying to become more and more Agile. Yes, yeah. And so I think with that then, right, marketing is something that if we want to take giant gender stereotypes, very common working with women and lots of women and finding women in the marketing industry. What have you noticed already on your journey, more formally part of the Agile community about the access to other women, other women thought leaders, the support that you've gotten as a new female in this industry and all of that? Well, I really appreciate women in Agile because um, I, I just in, enjoy connecting with other women in business. And whether it be in Agile or in business in general, I, I like sharing that sense of camaraderie. Um, I do think that women have a more collaborative approach and that that really serves us well, whether we're in the business community or the Agile community. And I, I feel like having that voice in the room and elevating that is important, whether we're elevating Agile conversations or business conversations in general. Yeah, absolutely. The um, Any maybe stories or pivotal moments for you in terms of connecting with other women um, here since you've taken this new role? Well, I, I do feel like there's an undercurrent. And I, I will say some women feel more comfortable pulling together as a group of women than others, right? Some women feel like, oh, well, I don't need that. I don't really see it or I see it, but I don't care about it. And then there's another group of individuals who say, yeah, I, I see it and I care about it. And I care that women might be underrepresented, especially at the leadership table. I feel like, you know, women need to have more of a collective voice and um, so I, I feel like there are some back channels where women come together, whether it be within our organization or within a group like Women in Agile. And I always appreciate those, uh, those connection points because quite frankly, it, it makes me feel less alone that maybe I've had these thoughts or I've had these experiences and I think, well, is it a gender stereotype? Is it because I'm a woman? And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But having that other group of women to bounce things off of really um, is important to me. I, you know, Melissa, I completely agree with that idea that right, there are people that gravitate towards this and don't gravitate towards it in the in terms of relying on a community like what Women in Agile has to offer. Um, and it is just, it really is lovely how there are so many like-minded of women like us that just are able to come together. And in other episodes when we've been chatting with people, we kind of called it a sisterhood. Mm. Um, of just that shared experience, which is so wonderful. And I'm just, you know, like you said, you're, you're appreciative of it. And, and I am as well. I'm curious about your journey and in getting involved in all of this, because what I experienced, I actually happen to have a marketing background as well. Um, what I think of as 
leadership in traditional marketing teams and organizations I've been in is not now what I experienced then is not now what I expect from leadership that I've become like dipped in the Kool-Aid of Agile. Um, so I'm curious, how would you compare and contrast sort of what leadership you've seen sort of pre and post Agile as well as like how that's impacted your own leadership journey? Yeah, and I appreciate what you said because sometimes I don't realize that I've become Agile, quote unquote, uh, until I talk with other people who are still in traditional marketing environments. And that's when it becomes really apparent to me, oh yeah, I have shifted. And for me, that journey began with understanding the theory. So you asked about when did I start taking the classes? Well, when I, I came to Scaled Agile, I started to take classes. And I understood what servant leadership meant on paper, but it's one thing to, to do the book learning and it's another uh, thing to apply it. And there were a couple of aha moments, right? One was when I was sitting in one of our SPC classes, our safe, uh, our safe program consultants, and they were talking about management as a conductor or a manager as a conductor. And I really, it really resonated with me. And I thought, oh, that's, that's me. You know, like I, I love doing that. <laughs> you know, it, it's the orchestration of all these different parts and making sure everything's flowing very smoothly. And then they said, and that's an anti-pattern. And I, you know, I, I felt a little discouraged, but it also was an aha moment because I realized, oh, I need to learn a different way of doing things. And then another aha moment was when we I was the bottleneck and I was the approvals bottleneck. So we were generating emails and as happens in a lot of marketing organizations, the approvals go up the chain and then somebody signs off and then they go back down the chain for deployment. And I was on the road a lot and the team was complaining because they're like, Melissa, we can't get these emails out in time. You're not around to approve them. And so we brought in our release train engineer who also serves as an agile coach. And she, she suggested that we start building a checklist, uh, a shared definition of done. And why that was so important for us is because about 50% of our emails were going out with some sort of mistake in them, whether it be it was off brand or a broken link or you know, a paragraph had been cut and pasted incorrectly. So that was why I felt like I needed to still be in that approvals uh, flow because I was catching some of that. But in reality, once we created that checklist around the definite, shared definition of done and then included things like, are all the links correct? Um, is there, you know, has it been copy edited? Does it uh, have the right look and feel? Then I felt much more comfortable uh, removing myself from that flow and uh, had a higher level of confidence that uh, the emails could go out as planned. So it was through the practice of these agile concepts that I really started to embrace what it meant to be an, an agile leader. Yeah, you know, and I think the the and I almost interrupted you at the beginning of, of talking about this because you started with this, and it's so important to like, you need to understand the theory, but doing it is different. It makes me think of that first line of the manifesto, right? In this case, we're un we're uncovering better ways of leading and working with other humans by doing it ourselves and helping others do it too. Absolutely. Um, and so that's, it's, I, I love that you just remind that because if, if I have, I'd say a pet peeve 
a little bit about us as agilists right now. It's I'm calling it intellectual appropriation, mm. where we go and we get some theoretical understanding about some stuff. And mm. then, oh, like, we'll just bring in a little dab of that. And then we actually kind of misappropriate it <laughs> mm -hmm. and don't use it to the to the full extent. But by like really leaning in and practicing, like that makes all the difference. It's true. And luckily, I have a great team who is um, is very gracious with their feedback and helps me understand where I can be a better agile leader. And, and that's half of it. If you don't have those feed, feedback loops going, it's really hard to know where you can improve and where when, you need to improve. And that is honestly probably one of the, the biggest edges as the emerging agile leader is to be able to sit with and hold that feedback. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me think of the, um, the book, The Four Agreements. Uh, Don Miguel, it's a three name name, but I can't think of what the third name is. Yeah. Um, and I can right, make sure the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, and it's the idea of like, don't take it personally, but mm. when you're hearing feedback, like how do you not take that personally? And being able to just sit in it and really take it in is such a big part of growth and emerging as an agile leader. How, what has that been like for you? Well, for me, it's been uh, um, it's been assuming best intent. Like I, I'm asking for this feedback, and I actively want the feedback. And I don't feel like anybody's trying to throw me under the bus. I feel like they're trying to help me um, be a better leader, and I I try and role model that, right? Because I I also want them to be able to receive feedback. So if I don't model how to receive feedback in a productive way, how in the world can I expect? anybody else on my team to be able to receive feedback. Yeah. And, and not everyone has a leader that gracious to work with, right? So like when you think about all of these people out there that are in organizations and they're working on their agile transformations mm -hmm. and all of a sudden now you're sitting and you've got a leader that you have to work with that isn't embracing this mm -hmm. new way. Um, given that journey you've gone through and what you've been seeing, like how, what advice or suggestions do you have for them? Yeah. And I, I have a lot of empathy for those leaders because I was that leader. And, you know, if there's anybody on my team listening to this, I, I own it. Right. Because it was the way I was taught. And the more I dove into that long arc of, of management history, right. I learned that there's 150 years of, us as people being trained to manage in a certain way. Yeah. So we have been trained to have a command and control uh, attitude. In the early 1900s, management was considered like an elite class. So there's some class, you know, some class tensions going, right? There was the management and there were laborers. And, uh, you know, there was, there's the people who are trying to optimize human production and you know, take a sharp pencil to everything. And there's also people who are saying, no, it's all about the culture. And there's this tension there. So, you know, I, I have to sometimes in my mind, <laughs> you know, if I've if I'm dealing with somebody who maybe came of age in the, the 70s or, or the early 80s, like I'm th I think sometimes think to myself, wow, the world, the word sexual harassment didn't even exist until 1978. So this person may have come in, of age in a totally different era. And that's what they have to try and unwind. Yeah. And that's and where, where I find my empathy. 
Yeah. When there's, I mean, there's the brain science behind that, like brains, we just, we have these ingrained neuropathways about, right, sense and respond. And once you build those mental models and those habits, especially after a number and number and number of years, Mm -hmm. it is really difficult to reprogram that, especially if you're trying to do that while you're still working in an organization that is rewarding the -hmm. prior behavior, not the new behavior. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for those individuals, I, you know, I, I think what I'd like to, the guidance I'd like to provide is, is start to run some small experiments, right? So is there a small ask that you can make? Let's say that your boss is, is still kind of stuck in command and control and says, do it this way. And maybe you just introduce this concept of, well, would you be open to me testing this other idea and start proposing tests, start proposing, hey, would you be open if I set up a, um, a Kanban board for the team and see where those areas of flexibility are and see where uh, if you can find an area where it'd be easy for the manager to, to say yes and, and then wait for the pull, right? Wait for that manager to start seeing, oh, there, there might be something here and build on that success. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the other part of agile leadership, and I, and I think it's especially interesting when you talk about this idea of experimentation, right? Um, it's, in, in fact, I just saw a, a tweet or a LinkedIn post that had um, some of the management 3.0 principles on it. And it talked about like, um, you manage the system, not the people. Mm-hmm. And agile leadership really, it, it is so human centered. And you want to, as we think about kind of, you know, safe principles, or I guess agile principles in general, that idea of right, decentralizing work, pushing decision making to the lowest level. Um, if you can't manage the people, and now the people manage the work because they're self-organized. The idea of managing the system, like how do I fit in and how mm-hmm. does people management show up in all of that? How how has that part of your journey shifted in terms yeah. of the way you've led people? Because you've talked about getting feedback and thinking about the work differently, but those real interactions with the people that report to you, if I had to use quotation fingers. Yeah, it, and it's scary, and I think that's where it's especially scary. I mean, I, you know, in Safe, we look at a lot of these large-scale implementations. People have built their careers around being a mid-level manager, and then you look at a, a graphic like the big picture, and you realize, whoa, there aren't any mid-level managers on this big picture. And when you look at a, an agile team, you see a product owner and a scrum master. You don't see a people manager. And so it can get really scary really fast if you're thinking, what's, what's my role? And then you, you, know, you hear something squishy like, well, your role is to be a role model. And you're thinking, well, shoot, that seems like it's an easy thing to pull off the org chart. <laughs> yeah. But really what, what I had to realize and what I now realize is that you know, 60 to 80% of my time is, is spent in meetings. Sometimes 100% of my time is spent in meetings. And those meetings are facilitating conversations. And in that facilitation of the conversation is really where those nuggets lie of being yeah. a role, role model. Yeah, it's interesting because you used the word conductor earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I thought of three different other uses of the word conductor before I realized you were going down the path of like 
conductor of an orchestra or music ensemble sort of thing. Because mm -hmm. I the first thing I actually thought of was a conductor of electricity. Oh, interesting. And that's almost and I don't know why today that was sort of what I thought of, but that's almost what you're pointing to here, right? You're mm -hmm. there as sort of the mechanism that can conduct the energetic exchange and facilitation of the ideas. Exactly. It turns out the other, the second thing of conductor that I thought of was train conductor appropriately agile release trains train yeah. conductor right and i'm like where is she going to go with train conductor analogy in this and then it turned out it was the orchestra but there you're you're so spot on um and i think that's one of the challenges in people in growing their careers in the agile enterprises right you know that age old sort of you know all the people that are best at their job get promoted to their first level of incompetence when then it's like and then it's like oh how do you right kind of shim them back down one level. Mm -hmm. But just because you're really good at a craft doesn't mean you should be promoted to manager to where you lead other people in that craft. But that's still how so many organizations are kind of wired. And as I've grown in my career, so much of it is exactly how you put it, being that facilitator Mm -hmm. in the room that's really just enabling conversation and almost being like a historian of like the wisdom of the system and of the expertise and offering that up in ways that other people can make it their own. Well, right. And that's where, for me, it's been so fascinating to dive into the history of management theory, because I realized, oh, you know, that um, that hierarchy is, you know, comes out of like 1924. And this idea that the manager knows the one best way of doing things. And that was true in a certain time and place when manufacturing was, you know, was the bulk of the economy and there was one right way to assemble a car. But in today's economy where you have knowledge workers, the knowledge worker oftentimes knows more than the manager. And so especially the people manager. So the people manager isn't there to prescribe the one best way. And this notion that you can climb up the ladder is again an antiquated notion when you're talking about a knowledge worker. And so as the people manager, really you're there to reinforce some of the values, right? So transparency of information you bring into that meeting. It's not just a one-way flow, like here, hey, I'm the manager, here's what I heard from above me. But you're also facilitating that communication of information from the knowledge workers who really know the work up to another layer of management who should be really wide open ears listening to what you're communicating, right? So things like that you're, you're demonstrating in meetings, things like um, self-accountability, you know, being able to come into a meeting and say, you know what, I came up with, I came into the meeting with mindset A and you're here saying, no way, Jose, mindset B, is where we need to be, and I can hear you, and I, I, that works, right? I accept your rationale. Yeah. Uh, and and modeling that behavior for everybody, and then also to your point about you know not promoting people to their level of incompetence, really digging in and figuring out what do people want, mm -hmm. and guiding them to that next place. Yeah, yeah. What was the um sort of any story from your own journey about that first time that you really had to admit, maybe my way wasn't the right way? Well, I mean, it, it happens on a near daily basis. Um, 
I don't know that I can on the fly. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who has a, a story on the, the fly. Um, but, you know, there was a situation today where, you know, it happens a lot in email, right? People have a lot of opinions around email. And, you know, somebody wanted the email a certain way and somebody else wanted the email a certain other way. Um, and, you know, the person who wanted, let's just call it option A, could have pulled rank and said, you know, again, I, I want this verbiage in this email, but either being open to that experimentation or open to saying, you know what, let's give your way a try, I think is, is a key part of, of building the trust that you need to support an agile team. Yeah, yeah. When then, right, the, the more and more scaled agile is becoming global, and I don't know enough about your background to know how much you were working globally in the past, but there are just existing sort of natural, right, cultures in terms of the societies people live in that lean more hierarchical versus self-organizing as well. And so as scaled agile is continuing to become more and more global, how are you seeing that impact your leadership stance and all of these kind of different ideas around diversity of thought and hierarchy and, and all of that? Well, I, I think there's truth. I, I also think that we're operating in a global society and most of the organizations that we deal with, the, the Global 2000, they're already global. So let's just say that, you know, Japan is typically known as a very hierarchical society. And so there's some nuance there, right? If you're dealing with a Japanese-based company that uh, is mainly focused in Japan, so, um, you know, some of the Japanese telecoms and things like that, versus a Toyota, which is Japanese-based, but it's a global company. Mm -hmm. Like, they've already had to deal with this difference, right? Like, oh, okay, Toyota in Brazil might look different than Toyota in Japan, and here's our global culture. So I think some of that normalizes out just when you're being a, a global company. And I think the second part of that is, let's just say you're in a very hierarchical company or hierarchical society. It's becoming more and more clear that innovation does not happen in a very hierarchical organization. Yeah. And so these companies realize that if they stick with that Type of mindset and that type of structure, innovate or die, right? They're gonna they're gonna lose out. And so I think even the most rigidly hierarchical organization, at some level, is understands that they need to adopt a more agile mindset. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think you, know, I think about all the just the rapid change businesses have had to go through in order to kind of accommodate the ever changing environment you know, people are working in here in 2020, like it's just making that need to kind of leadership get out of the way mm -hmm. um, in order for innovation to emerge even more apparent. Yeah. Um, as everyone's finding new ways of working. Right. And, you know, and, and with that said, you know, the people who are leading these organizations are often the same people who have this big baggage around management theory and believe yeah. in the hierarchy, believe in promoting people through the ranks. And that's a lot for them to unwind. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you start to see this divide even in, in the COVID world. So yesterday I was doing some online shopping and it was a clothing company and there along, you know, tops and sweaters and blouses were masks. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I thought there's an organization that knows how to pivot. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. So pivoting is actually, I'm going to use that as a lob to help us move towards wrapping up. Sure. Um, so everyone learns from great stories of failure and giant mistakes. So do you have a short kind of anecdote that you can share with us around a, yep, I stepped in it real big time here and this is what I learned. Uh, I needed you to, to lob that up to me before the show so I could. <laughs> could <laughs> it it came to it. me in the moment. <laughs> Uh, let's see what I can do here on the fly. Um, and and I think I, I struggle with this question because I, I very rarely think of things as failures, right? I, that's just not how I frame it in my mind. Um, so I don't know. I'm not thinking of anything on the fly. That's all right. Well, if you if you do think of one, send me a note and we'll put it in the show notes. All right. That sounds great. All right. So then um, I do love to end things with kind of inspiring people around what they can do with their own growth and their own learning journeys. So like, what are you geeking out on right now? What are you doing for your own professional growth that others might find inspiring? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've heard it throughout this show and I, I think it was one of the reasons why I wanted to share it with everybody. I, I really am geeking out on some of this management history, because it, it's one, it's me, right? So even during this pandemic, I am, I'm busy researching 1918. And I'm thinking, oh, what the heck went on there? And oh, my gosh, you know, not only did they have a pandemic, they have World War One, you know, there was a big stock market crash, there was the teapot dome scandal, there was all this crap going on. And so what can we learn from history? And what I'm learning is that some of the patterns that we see today are so ingrained and it, it sometimes feels like Sisyphus, right? Like you're rolling a, a rock up the hill only to have it roll back down. And uh, if it feels different, if you're a manager and Agile feels different, it probably should feel different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I, that makes me think of definition of insanity, right? If it doesn't feel different, that probably means that we're not actually getting a different result. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something really interesting listening to you sort of frame it this way. Um, I think about how, you know, the more and more popular Agile becomes everywhere. It's less about the, I remember when I started as an Agile coach and trainer, you know, the waterfall versus Agile conversations. And mm -hmm. those have kind of like lost their appeal with folks because like everybody's kind of been exposed to Agile in some way, shape or form. Now, lots of bad Agile out there, and, mm -hmm. but it's not quite the same bad Agile versus good Agile stories. But but perhaps this next sort of foray of conversation around comparison is the, like, let's really remember the roots and the why of traditional management and that, because even as people are exposed to new, more agile ways of working, they're still sort of very much easily able to relate to more traditional management sort of things and how that impacts and how do we create those compare and contrast stories in, in ways that really resonate with everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I sometimes even wonder is, you know, is the word agile going to morph, right? Yeah. We're going to turn into learning organizations. We're going to transform the way we manage. And I don't know what that's called, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if 10 years from now it was, you know, women transforming something. Yes. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, Melissa, before we wrap for final thing, any additional thoughts, wisdom you want to share with folks? No, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the show and help uh, support the community. You know, you guys are doing such important work and uh, again, keep it, keep it, keep the sisterhood alive. Excellent. Thank you. Um, that, that is, that is our hope. I really appreciate you being here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I really appreciate you sharing this story because I think the the thing that I'm remembering from like almost at the very beginning was I didn't even realize I'd become agile till I talked to people that are in just marketing organizations now and I see how different I am. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just so beautiful to really be able to get in touch with your own kind of evolution throughout this. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And you can always go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.